Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And in today's episode, we are discussing Chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart, with special guest Neil. Hello. So don't forget to grab a glass of, you know, either alcohol or not alcohol if you're not completely reliant on us. Like, <laughs> like we us. Are. Yep. Um, and yeah, join us. Along and don't forget to tweet us awful things. Awful. Always tweet us. Always tweet. We love Twitter. Tweet. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are doing chapter six, Gilderoy Lockhart. And as we said at the end of last episode, we are joined again by Neil. Hello. Charlie's really grumpy at me. Charlie, say something. And I just interrupted what I was saying. Charlie, can you say the thing now? Charlie, tell us what we're drinking. Okay, so Neil is here to settle, not a debate, more of a query between me and Hannah. Yes. So we are drinking something that is a really kind gift from my friend Elle. Love you, Elle. Love you, Elle. We all love Elle. It's we a very weird Elle. situation we where I knew Elle and then we found out that Elle was friends with Neil by... Pure coincidence. Yeah, mm. like we didn't know there was the, all this crossover. By yeah. work. We worked yeah. together. Yeah. They worked together and then one day I was at post-work drinks and I got a text from Elle saying, do you know Hannah? With Hannah's last name. And I was like, how the fuck do you know? Anyway, um, so it's a whole thing where I know Elle and Neil knows Elle. And now, and now Hannah knows Elle. It's a really great little foursome. Yeah, we love it. But anyway, for anyway. Charlie's birthday, she got over a very kind gift of... of So it's pink vodka with gold in it. So Hannah said to me earlier, because I'd had this thought, but okay. I resolved the thought in my brain. Okay. Hannah said to me, is it me or does the... Is the goal to make cuts in your like mouth and throat so that the vodka gets in more? Which is something I was told. This isn't something I came up with. This is something... So um, vodka with gold bits in it, I feel like became fashionable when I was like 18, 19. That might just be because that's when I started drinking. It might have been a thing before. Yeah. Don't know. Don't want to fact check. But at the time, it was quite fashionable. People used to get it for their 18th birthday a lot. And when I asked why it's got gold bits in, loads of people in school would tell me that it's because the gold cuts your throat... Therefore, the alcohol gets to your bloodstream faster. See, Neil, as our resident wait scientist. Yes, but so why I think I've heard this is mm. because I think there is a film. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, but it's some coming of age American film. Yeah, it yeah. might be like Super Bad or McLovin, something mm. like that. Mm-hmm. I see and that. I think it, it it is in that film where they say because I think they're trying to get a girl drunk. Lovely, concerningly, and I think that they say in the film that. The he buys her gold vodka because it cuts the throat and gets him drunk more. And I think I would guess that this is an urban legend yes. created by that film, and that's why people say it now. I think it's probably not really that that factual. Because my head is making me think it's true. Because I just took a sip. I'm I'm using a straw to drink this. I just took a sip and got a load of the gold bits in, and I feel like I can feel like little scratches on my throat. But I know that's probably my brain. Neil has a degree. <coughs> See, I'm coughing because the gold has slipped my throat. It's in your head. Neil has both a degree and master's in chemistry, but please tell us your theory. What your Surely this would this be theory. biology. I know, but Neil's the closest we've got. He's Neil, go get chemistry. a second, de- no, a third degree and tell us the answer. Now, 
I'm pretty certain I had this exact discussion with a couple of friends at uni. Mm -hmm. And I believe the conclusion we came to is it is complete bollocks. Yes! I like to believe it's very clever marketing from whoever first brought out the product. I'm convinced it's because of this film. If anyone remembers this film that I am talking about, Mm. where at some point you know american teenagers it's probably that dude that's in everything playing a stoner the chubby one. Oh, i know what um, you're talking about, yeah. yeah it's probably him i think it's him in a film and he's trying to get this girl that he fancies drunk at a party so he buys her vodka with gold in because they say it cuts the throat concerning anyway. um so please tweet me if you know what the hell i'm on about anyway chapter six Gilda Lockhart, the reason why Neil was on last episode and this episode Yay. here it is he's here we go so the chapter kicks off the very next day and it's breakfast in the Great Hall and Harry's complaining in his own head about how the day's got downhill straight away. Yeah, but also like there's a description of the breakfast and it's like they have porridge or there's like all these things like cooked bacon, blah, yep. blah, blah. How aren't they fat? And well, this well, is do you know what else there is, Charlie? What? Kippers. Mm. I know, that's you... so gross. And also, like whenever I go to a hotel, I expect to cook breakfast. Have you ever seen a fucking kipper at a cooked breakfast? No. I'm going to no. th- throw it out there. It's Scottish, isn't it? Oh, I wasn't going to say that. Maybe that actually also makes sense because my yeah. dad loves them. Ah. And ergo, I also love them. There, there, there you go, you're Scottish. Uh, maybe I... it's a Scottish. It's no, like but also, also you're right. Like The only sport they ever talk about is Quidditch, which apparently I think is only available in first year. I don't year. know where this is going. Apparently it's, it's only available in first year. And then it's only if you're on the team. So therefore, if they're offering no sport at Hogwarts, how aren't they fat? You're very right. I understand the point. But yeah, like imagine if you had a cooked breakfast. And yeah, you could have a healthy option like porridge. You also could have bacon. You, if you're a teenager, bacon. you're gonna be fat. Which is well, fine, some of them are, some of them unless the, the writer is JK Rowling. In which case, every character in this book gets fat and therefore they're all evil. Yeah. But... That's, it would be fine if they were all doing like hearty exercise and maybe you know the castle's so big they're probably all doing 15,000 steps a day like easily they're probably and the stairs it's a lot of stairs but Hermione doesn't like flying and there's no other sport option mm-hmm. so what is she doing to keep fit like I'm not saying people have to keep fit I hate exercise I hate exercise with a passion and I hate eating healthily but I know if I ate bacon every day and didn't exercise I would put on a lot of weight. Putting on a lot of weight isn't a bad thing, but schools need to take care of children. <laughs> Can they not just magic themselves then? No. No. That I'm pretty sure would be that's against too Gamp's far. Law. Whatever yeah, it is. Gamp's Law. That's Ooh. too much. What is that? Gamp's Law is the seven elemental rules of transfiguration. We actually only textually know one of them, which is that you can't create food out of nothing. Food has to be transported or transfigured or increased, but it cannot be created from nothing. Huh. God, so Neil, I think why you don't could, you know this? I think you could <laughs> temporarily transfigure yourself to look different, but it would never be permanent. Like the way is Ron is transfigured to look different in book seven, but as soon as a sp- counter spell hits him, he goes back to the way he looks. I yeah, unless I... you're whatever Tonks is. Yes. Yes. I think I know what the answer is going to be. But why can't you transfigure food out of nothing? Because. Seven elemental rules of transfiguration. Oh, see, I thought the answer was going to be because it would put people out of work. No, it's just elemental laws. The same way that we have... I think it's the same way that we have physical elemental laws. Oh. I I know that... There's a motorbike. That's our food. I know it sounds really like you can't compare magic to the real world, but, like, you know, we can do a lot with technology, 
but we can't create energy out of nothing. Yeah. Mm. It's the same thing. Oh, it's like a, it's a physical law it's rather a physical than a legal law. law. No, it's a physical law. Oh, right. right yeah. Right. I hear a motorbike. Can you go find our food? Well, is it here? You zoom in on the map. You're miles away. Sorry, Down guys. We had a quick break for pizza delivery. Pizza. If you ever want to sponsor us, please sponsor us. Thanks. We buy you every time we record a podcast. Please do. Please do. Oh, my God. My belly is so full of pizza. Yeah. Okay. So by now, the entire of Hogwarts is obese from their ridiculous <laughs> breakfast feast. Uh, and then at this one particular breakfast feast, Ron receives a howler from Woo. Mrs. Weasley. Mrs. Weasley. And what I want to know is, so they say like, if you ignore it, something bad happens. What is that thing? It sets on fire. That's established. But like, it kind of smokes and sets on fire at the end anyway. I know. That's it starting to blow up. But, but I, like I, I don't know. I feel like it's implied that something worse. I know, that but there's there's. I swear they one of them has a howler at some point that they don't open in time and it just like sets on fire. I think that's the film. Oh, hmm. Okay, we'll have to see as we read the books. I can only imagine it gets like louder, more embarrassing. It does something like that. Maybe it like enough. follows you. Because yeah. Neville's that like around your head. Yeah. Neville's like it's terrible. If you ignore it. But Neville exaggerates a lot. Neville thinks a lot of things are bad. Neville is an attention seeker. Yeah. But what, so my question was like, the howler, like it's obviously Mrs. Weasley shouting. And it says in it, your father's facing an inquiry at work. She knows this is going to come to Ron at breakfast. So she basically tells the entirety of Hogwarts that Mr. Weasley is facing an inquiry at work. Like, yeah. Well, you idiot. Why Which did you basically, like- I'm like, she admits defeat because not admits defeat, admit, admits uh guiltiness it uh yeah guiltiness wow Wow. words and things and concepts um because she's like she's like how do you think we felt when we came back and the car wasn't there which admits that the car is theirs yeah which everyone knew anyway but like also you've just embarrassed your husband in front of the entire school including people like draco malfoy who will Mm. write to their father and be like Mm -hmm. lol this guy and it will get round even more wait until my father hears about this yep good it's not the best parenting. It's not. And then Harry like comments in the kind of narrator. It's like Harry felt really guilty, you know, like the Weasleys have done so much for yes, him. They have, Harry. And like now Mr. Weasley's like, you know, having an inquiry at work. And then literally the narrator's like, but he couldn't feel guilty for long. Because then the timetables came out. I know. Like, I, what? I read that. I'd be like, I'd still feel guilty if I was handed a timetable. Like, exactly. fed you for three weeks. Yeah. You know they have no money. Now one of them's on the brink of losing their job. And you're just like, yeah. Uh, guilt's and, over. Yeah. Ooh, and they're like, yeah, they're like the closest things to how he has as parents. And one of them's about to lose his job when they're already really poor. And then it's like, yeah. You see, I would care, but I just got a hand in my timetable and I can see that I have double potions one day and I'm really stressed out yeah, about that. Yeah. So Harry's like, a selfish go fuck cow. yourself. Harry's a selfish cow. And it's True. also, it's that childish thing of like, now we're thinking at it in terms of that panic of like, oh my God, an inquiry at work, this, this, this. But as a child, you don't... Oh, Guys, we, we have another issue. Yeah, we've run out of alcohol. We've um, run out of booze again. I, I like... I know now I would think of those consequences, but as a 12 year old, I wouldn't think of those consequences to my actions that it could impact like my parents or my friend's parents, Mm. but they might lose their jobs. And then I'd be like, oh, but they'll be fine. No, losing your job if you have children is like- A big deal. It's a big deal, yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's never great at any time in life, but particularly if you have kids. Yeah, not good. Not amazing. So So, anyway, the first lesson is herbology. Herbology. And before the class, Lockhart ambushes Harry. Yep. 
he pulls him to a side for like a chat and basically he <laughs> says that he's given Harry a taste for fame yep. because of this. Harry is acting out to try and get more fame. Getting in the newspapers more. Yeah. Neil has so many points. this scene so much. Why Neil, do you love this scene so take much? Take it away, Neil. Take it away. Why do you love this Gilderoy scene so much? Gilderoy Lockhart. Is a man. Is, <laughs> is a man. Can I request that from now on you speak entirely in sonnet form? No. He doesn't know the structure of a sonnet. What is it? Is that iambic pentameter? Has it got some of that? Going and on? that, and then there's also how many syllables there is per line. Yeah. When you're yeah. going to do that. <laughs> I bet Hannah knows it. I've forgotten it. It's like 866 six something. That rings a bell. There's eight involved. I wouldn't be surprised if Hannah's right. Gildory Lockhart <laughs> is one of the best examples of, I think, my favourite character trope in fiction. Okay. Which is. The bumbling, self-obsessed idiot who's managed to sort of stumble into complete fame and fortune. Mm. But characters like Gilderoy Lockhart, yeah. like Zap Brannigan in Futurama, it is like my favourite thing when you just have this person who's inexplicably famous, people admire them, but then you actually talk to them and they're completely, like, vapid. Yeah. <laughs> Would you also say, like, Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> <laughs> Lando Calrissian, <laughs> actually, if you, after watching Solo, the Star Wars story, yeah, I think Lando is also a decent example of this, but where you... he's this admired character. And it's you... like, oh no, other pod, pop, pop culture references. Oh, okay. <laughs> but do you like it as a trait because you admire it in some way? No. Or because you relate to it? Because <laughs> <laughs> you are a white male with confidence. It just... Honestly, as character traits go in fiction, it never fails to make me laugh. Okay. Yeah. Every and single time I read it, I watch it, I am in yeah. bits laughing. Yeah. And to be fair, when you first said, Neil wants to come on for Gilderoy Lockhart, I was like, what? And then rereading it, I was like, no, this is really fucking amusing. It and is. I think part of that... Um, is because of actually I was listening to most of it on the audiobook. Yeah. And Stephen Fry on the audiobook. His voice. It's the radio DJ. He reads Lockhart like Harry. a radio DJ. Oh, I haven't listened Harry. to it. I've, because I was going to listen to it and then I was like, no, I've got the illustrated. I want to. Please. Okay, I'll go, go back. back and I'll listen go back. to a chapter. It's... I'm going to go back and listen I've to this one. I've given you a taste of fame. You know, he's got that sort of proper... Wow. Oh, Please, Neil, do more of it deep into the mick. It's just, I... That was... <laughs> Harry, I've given you a taste of fame. Wait, can we ne- make Neil read out Yeah, can we monologue? have some lines? Can we have some lines? We need a Lockhart monologue. There's that great bit where he's talking about, you know, you had all that business with you-know-who. <laughs> But you didn't win best smile. Yeah, we need we need that bit, that exact bit. bit. There, I understand. (laughs) Harry, 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 I understand. Natural to want a bit more once you've had that first taste, and I blame myself for giving you that, because it was bound to go to your head. But see here, young man, you can't just start flying cars to get yourself noticed. Just calm down, all right? Plenty of time for all that when you're older. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
I know what you're thinking. It's all right for him. He's an internationally famous wizard already. <laughs> Gilderoy slurped his milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to do when all white men with too much confidence speak to me too much. <laughs> but when no, I stop now, we're done. No, it was fantastic. <laughs> Neil, you could make a fortune doing ASMR or whatever it is. Just be the next Stephen Fry. Can oh. I just, my favourite line in this little monologue okay. is when he says, I mean, a few people have heard of you, haven't they? <laughs> All that business with he who must not be named. He glanced at the lightning scar on Harry's forehead. I know. I know it's not quite as good as winning which weekly's most, most charming smile, smile award. Creamy <laughs> creamy smile. This is creamy oh. smile. Charlie, tell us more about his creamy smile. Okay, so if you ha- don't understand the creamy smile reference, why the fuck did you skip our bonus episode, you dicks? Go back oh, and listen to it. He's got a creamy smile. Creamy smile. Creamy yeah, smile. That was the most fantastic thing I've ever heard thank you neil for blessing us that's okay that character trope and i think actually it is probably one of the best castings in the films yeah i agree now, yeah now i, agree. I appreciate that the true that the true book people this is quite controversial well because in the books gilderoy is meant to be in what his early 30s well no you say that but that's only been confirmed by things like pottermore and MuggleNet and mm. things like that Actually, nowhere in the text does it say his age. Absolutely nowhere. So I'm very happy with the interpretation that he's like mid-40s. I think it just makes more sense for him to be a sort of older bloke. Not necessarily older. Well, not older. I feel like mid-40s is the right age. Like, and maybe someone that's kind of had their peak and is still really clinging on to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like, no, I I love him. I was surprised when Hannah was said why you want to come on and then rereading it, I was like, no, this... This character is fucking genius because when you read it as like quite a young reader, you're yeah. like, oh, this person's irritating. And then you read it like older and, you know, you're we, working we in industry. Someone. And we're like, holy shit, this yeah. is like every white male I we, work with. Yeah. We all know at least one Gilderoy Lotson. And yeah. fun fact, because you know at least once per episode, I like to bring up a fun J.K. Rowling writing fact. Oh dear. This character was directly inspired by someone she knew. She won't say where because she doesn't want to give too much away but it was directly inspired by someone she once worked with or went to university with um but the funny thing was she said that if he's probably so obviously he knows that he knew her and he's probably walking around saying oh did you know i inspired the character dumbledore because yeah. that's how arrogant he is this is a carly simon you're so vain it is situation. you're so vain you probably yeah. think this song is about you yeah yeah yeah, and, and, I, and who hasn't related to Carly, whatever her name is? Carly I Simon. love her, but I always forget her name. <laughs> she is amazing. She is walked a... into the party. So yeah, Lockhart genuinely believes that he has influenced Harry in his quest for fame and that he is far more famous than Harry. Oh, Lockhart. Yeah, because of his award-winning Witch Weekly smile. Five times a So now... So now in the Herbology, we're introduced to the Mandrakes for the first time. What a coincidence. I wonder if this is foreshadowing, Hannah. But I also want to, like, talk about the Mandrakes bit. Yes, foreshadowing. It's Mandragora. like it's like mentioned throughout the books, but mm. now I'm going to say this, and I know you're immediately... I know your immediate reaction, Charlie. Is it weird that the Mandrakes 
are very humanoid and then we raise them to be killed in potions. I know what your reply to me is going to be. Are you, are you fishing for something here? Because I have no idea what you're fishing I've for. I've got no idea. Your bait's oh. not worked, hun. Like, I, I thought your know. immediate reply was going to be, Hannah, you eat meat that's raised to be killed. You know I'm not... You you like to think all vegetarians no, are like no, that, I'm but not, they're no, not. That would be my reaction if somebody said that sentence to me as a meat eater. But like, I still... I think it's the fact that the mandrakes are so humanoid. Like, they're described as babies they're described as then having spots and acne and then they're described as mature when they want to climb into each other's pots like they're they're described as quite humanoid Hmm. and they're being raised by children to then use in potions and i know like circle of life whatever and they're being used for like like obviously all plants and animals are used for certain purposes but it's just the way they're described as humanoid which reading it as an adult Mm. i was just kind of like yeah That's a really good interpretation. Do you want to hear my one note I made on this? Yeah. No one wants the pink fluffy earmuffs sad face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I then talked about... We'll we'll just move on from my point that it's weird. But I'm saying that as a meat eater, where I'm very aware that, like, people eat animals. I think you're overthinking it, hun. I know, I I know. But then Harry says they look like ugly babies. Harry, (laughs) stop (laughs) saying shit is ugly. Again, Harry's like zero 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 out of ten. Would not fuck fuck this baby. (laughs) This is our new thing on the podcast. And as Harry gets older, we'll just start rating characters by Harry's description. Anytime Harry says that character is either ugly or hot, we will be giving it a rating. So Harry says Mandrake babies are ugly. Zero out of ten. Would not fuck. Okay, great. So then we are introduced to Justin... Finch Fletchley, who I only realised on this reading as co- is coded as extremely upper class. I only realised on this reading, and it's because I think we're doing it for this podcast. He so, is the resident Tory. Mm. Please don't assign political parties to people's upbringing. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're right, but... So, he walks up to Harry and Hermione and shakes their hand. He's 12. He has a double barrel surname. I'm sorry to all people with double barrel surnames. It's a bit of a trope in England. It makes you officially a Tory. (laughs) He says that Lockhart is awfully brave. If anyone describes anything as awfully anything, you're coding them in a certain way. A Tory. He calls his mum mother. A Tory. And here's the best bit. My name's been down for Eton since I was born. Yet again. A fucking Tory. It's Jacob Rees-Mogg. It's Jason... Rake of G... Jacob So, I'm sure Justin Finch actually is a lovely character. He's, you know, he joins the DA. He's a good kid. But, and I think he is. But Jamie Rowling is coding him here in a subtle way, which I only realised not when I was a kid, not when I was a teenager, only as a 24-year-old, I've realised that she's coding him as extremely upper class. Which is amazing, because you would think from that coding that he's going to turn out to be the hero of the story, given her Twitter politics since. <laughs> but no, he gets... Last um, minute, no, it's not Neville that cuts the head of the snake. It's just a bit Yes! <laughs> and then he stories. votes for Theresa May. <laughs> And everyone lives happily ever after. So I think we should quickly explain Eton because it's mm. a very much throwaway comment that she specific. I wonder if it's different in the American text I was because just about to ask this, because yeah. I think we might have to. I might 
ask someone I know who's American who yeah. likes Harry Potter because and I, a future guest on the podcast yeah let's ask them that I'm gonna make a note to ask a future American guest on the podcast um because that sentence my name was down for Eton is a clue for all British readers that he's muggle-born because mm. Eton is the most well-known school I think I can just say school in general in all of the UK mm -hmm. Eton is where um, I think Frank I can Turner was educated. 50, like a, a hell of a lot of politicians went. Literally the whole Tory also, front bench. Also, yeah. yeah, Joe Strammer. If I'm not wrong, really? Who? Joe Strammer of was. Oh, yeah. But, Did not know that. So Eton. It was either Eton or Harrow. Harrow. Yeah. So Eton historically is the most upper class school you can get in England. So it's a private school, you pay for education there, and typically you only go there if you're of upper class status. So until the last 100 years, you would have to be in the gentry, the landed gentry to go there. Now it's basically, if you've got money, you can go there. But when I say money, I like we're talking. I don't. I don't know the school fees, but we're talking oh, more course. than a hell of a lot more than what most people earn in a year. Um, it's boarding. It's all boys, and it just has certain connotations. We're not saying anything bad about anyone that goes there, but it does mm. have certain connotations. Yeah. And also, the only thing I will explain before I will say before we start. Wow, start Britsplaining. Is that a thing? Britsplaining. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, James Bond was he. He was eaten. Oh, was he eaten? Or was he so mm. Americans might Ooh, know in might. the context yeah. of James Bond. Good point. That's a good point. I feel like that was more hammered home in the young Bond novels, though. And yeah. I don't oh, know how, they were so good. I don't know they? how much of a hit they were across the pond. Ah. Maybe, but we don't know Americans. What do you know? What yeah, don't you know? know? Let us know. Eaten, <laughs> posh people, yeah, politicians. If, you, if you're American, let us know because. For us, it has slightly weird connotations because a lot of politicians went to Eton, therefore it's seen as like... <sighs> it's like not all politicians should come from Eton because then you're only getting one worldview and the people that decide are. Yeah, our I think it would make for a very interesting fanfic where you have someone that is muggle-born and very clearly destined... You know, if he's going to Eton, he is essentially becoming a politician or a mm. top barrister. Yes. Mm. You know, or he a doctor, is... a very high up doctor. Yeah. Not mm. even, I wouldn't even say a doctor, I would say more like owner of the media. Yeah. Like if you're going to Eton, you are going to be influential whether you mm. want it or not. Yeah. Um, so to have someone that is destined for that kind of future, but then they're a muggle born wizard, I think that is a really interesting. I think it is because he says his mother was very disappointed because it meant he wasn't going to Eton, which, you know, obviously the coding for all Muggleborns is that their parents are confused and conflicted by the whole thing. But it is very true. If you had your child down for Eton since you were a child, especially if you're part of the upper class landed gentry in England, and then suddenly you're like, no, they're going somewhere else. That would be very shocking, especially if, as it reads in the text, he's her only boy. Yeah, like it. It's this very. It's it's kind of difficult to explain if you like. It is. It's tied into all of like British culture and history. Yeah, but it's just interesting that in literally three sentences she gets this coding across about him, and it's something which she actually. I know we like make jokes about how 
JK Rowling isn't subtle with like race stuff and she's sometimes really pig-headed and sometimes a real idiot but what she is very good at describing is class mm. yeah very good particularly because in the casual vacancy in the casual vacancy still but, need to read that yeah oh Neil, you, know, Neil know, you need to read it but even in Harry Potter and I'll I've, I've got another point on this literally two paragraphs on because you know as a kid and a teenager I never noticed it I was just like Justin Finn Fletchley that character and now reading it as an adult I'm like Oh my god, she he's a coding. conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Stop saying that. He it was... true. It true. I've got a question. Yeah. Neil. If you've covered this in a previous podcast, you can cut now. You should listen to our podcast. I just want to, because I can't remember, you might have covered it in a really early one. Mm-hmm. Muggle born wizards. Yeah. How do they find them? How do they know? Ah, uh, I only know this from Pottermore. Go on. They're down in the book. There's a book. What? And when a magical child is born, there's a quill, and that's to write in the book. And if the book and the quill agree, then they're going to Hogwarts. You need to read on Pottermore, I can't explain if it very well. If the book and the quill agree. It's magical quill and a magical book. Oh Basically, J.K. Rowling did not put much thought in. No. And then last minute was like, eh! Magical book! <laughs> you need to read it. Okay. Um, so, moving on. Um, they go to Transfiguration. One, what, one's wand... Ron's wand wand is clearly broken and he's fixed it with fellow tape. It continues to be broken for the entire year, leading to me believe that no teachers care about any children in this school because surely you would offer help if you're teaching magic where you need a wand, you'd offer help to a child with a broken magic wand. Do they not have... Like lost property ones, I... like they did in like PE, you know. <laughs> I would think the room of requirement would have some lost property ones. Yeah, yeah whereas like this wand is weirdly salty. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when you put on someone else's shoes in PE, and you're like, these shoes don't want me to run. They're still warm. Uh, yeah, but no one looks after these children. No, but we know that Harry Potter is really not the best example of pentagogy. No, it's not, and I have so many. Examples of that in the coming chapters oh so many um so then they're asking what lesson is this afternoon and hermione says they have defense against the dark arts and ron notices that hermione has outlined all of lockhart's lessons with in love so charlie i want to discuss this personality trait this crush of hermione's that we have never seen before because i find it a fascinating facet of her personality i find it very out of character Ah, I was about to say I think it's a wonderful addition to her character. I think this well, is a big. Well, fuck you. I think this is a big coming of age moment for Hermione. Okay, I agree. Because she's got this sort of silly crush on a celebrity that she doesn't realise is completely silly. Mm. She believes every word he says. Mm-hmm. She loves everything about him, and then you know, huh, spoilers, she gets betrayed by that yeah. later in the book. Yeah, yeah. I think the witch please puts this better than we ever can, mm. where Hermione has this incredible reliance at this point in her life on the, the written text. word. Yeah. Mm. And this is something that gets dismantled more and more later on, particularly in this book with the presence of the diary and then later on with the half-blood prince. Mm. Um, but at this point in her life, she is so reliant on believing the written word yeah no matter what and it's an incredibly important life lesson not only for Hermione but for anyone that the written word is not fucking true no. mm. and it's we don't mean this like Wikipedia site your sources we mean this like book. don't believe the media guys yeah. and also don't believe Facebook or Twitter either everyone is lying to you capitalism is a scam anyway <laughs> but if you um, vaccinate your children they will get autism 
<laughs> I really was going to be like, yeah, but we're joking. Yeah, please. That is a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. It's sarcasm. In the UK, that is a joke. But in America, that is like an actual thing that I people believe. It's a joke. sarcasm. We believe it's, oh, it's sarcasm God, yeah. here. Carry yes. on. Right, carry on. Very much a joke. Vaccinate your children or you're insane. We don't care if you're offending you. Please fuck off. And if, you, if you haven't been vaccinated, go out and do it. It's fun. It's yeah. Everyone loves being injected, right? <laughs> what? Anyway. Anyway, what was I saying? Um, um, you, the, the written text, Hermione yes. has an over-reliance. Yeah, which exactly. Is a, which is a known... Hermione has a lot of flaws, which aren't explored in the films, but are explored in the books. And this is one of her main ones. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she is presented face-to-face with a thousand reasons not to believe in... Mag- uh, in Lockhart from mm. like the first 30 seconds of meeting him yeah. and it you know she's still it doesn't even cross her mind not to believe in him because what he's done is written and printed yeah um but yeah if you want to hear a really amazing deep analysis of that from people that are sober listen to which please yeah do I just think <laughs> going for a slightly different take on it I think it's not only the written word obviously that's a huge part of it for Hermione and what he's done I think we can't ignore the fact some of it is looks based and as mm. like you know we all want to and I think do sometimes view Hermione as this extremely level-headed person who's always got the right idea of people and is always you know it you know somewhat in the right but she's 12 no she's just turned 13 in this book we had the most stupid crushes at 13 and you can ask the most intelligent person you knew at 13 and they had the most stupid crushes and I love and I think JK Rowling I think this is the difference you know before this most every fiction book I'd ever read was by a male author and then J.K. Rowling comes in and is writing as from the female perspective and I think this is very much her putting her interpretation of something from the female perspective that a 13 year old girl however intelligent and brilliant they are is going to get silly crushes on beautiful men yeah and I think that we come down a lot harder in the way that we think about Hermione when we when she has this silly crush and that we're like she should have known better but when you actually think about the silly like very like sexual crushes that Ron and Harry have they have so many feelings and sexual feelings for people based purely on looks that are quite frankly ridiculous you know Obviously the Vila, but obviously so many other examples where they're purely look-based. But when it's Hermione, we're like, no, Hermione, she should have known better, blah, 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 which is bullshit. And it's just buying into this thing where it's like, but, you know, girls are more mature than boys. No, they're not. Fuck up. Fuck off. The only reason they're more mature than boys is because we have this pressure put on us to be more mature than boys, which is quite frankly ridiculous. Like, Hermione is 13. Let her her have her silly, ridiculous crushes. And she is... You know, she's viewed as a very asexual character. And I don't that mean that in terms of her actual sexuality. I mean, that is in the way that she's viewed. She's viewed in the books as very non-sexual. Obviously, mm. we will get on probably on the third book later on, on the disgusting sexualization of Emma Watson and the countdown to her coming of age. Oh, oh God. God. I was reminded of that very recently. That's mad. Yeah. yeah, but definitely in the book, she's seen as this very like non-sexual, mm. asexual character. 
Um, and then we look down on her of how can she believe, you know, Lockhart, yeah. you know, she's an idiot, blah, blah, blah. It's like, she's a 13 year old girl. She is allowed to make mistakes. Yeah. And yet later on when Harry and Ron had these ridiculous fucking crushes on people that make no sense, <coughs> Cho Chang, <coughs> like we don't, you know, penalize them yeah. at all because no, they're just boys they're being just silly boys, and horny. Blah, blah, blah. And I think it is, let Hermione be horny guys. Let her be horny. And it's also like, I know what you said, like girls don't necessarily mature faster than boys but I think it is realistic that Hermione develops the first known crush out of the trio mm. like the next book Harry mentions that Cho Chang is pretty and that's peppered in in the third book but Hermione's the first one to obviously develop a crush which I really like because J.K. Rowling could have easily done it with the character she was writing it from perspective of yeah. but she chose to do it with Hermione and I I just think so much of her personality, and especially in this book, what we were talking about earlier, I think in the last episode with me saying, you know, she's cut out of this book a lot, she's coded as whiny and annoying, but what she does have written in is this crush. And she also has peppered in throughout the books these moments where she giggles with Ginny and Mrs. Weasley. Mm. And Harry's an idiot. Harry only views Hermione for his use to him half the time. She's like, oh, she's so boring. She likes books, but she's useful to me. And he only really, really like knows his love for her later on. Yeah. But she has these moments, which Harry doesn't see because he's an idiot, where she giggles with Ginny and Mrs. Weasley and she has crushes on boys and she does the things that every 13-year-old girl does. Yeah. She who did you have a crush on at 13? Let's talk about this. I've already said young Voldemort was my jam. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Spike from Buffy. <laughs> so they then move out into the courtyard and we meet for the first, well, for kind of the first time where he has dialogue, Colin Creasy. And just to go back to my point before about coding in dialogue, so Colin is immediately coded as very different from Justin. And I only noticed this because I picked up that thing about Justin. So Colin's first line rather than, whereas Justin walked in and went, hello, I know who you two, you three are, shook their hands. Colin walks in and goes, right, Harry. And then proceeds to say, he's very Hagrid. Yeah, mm. proceeds to then, he talks in a way where the grammar isn't the same as where Justin is talking. And then he says, my dad's a milkman. And it's just coded as very different from Justin but both these boys end up as allies to Harry in the war later on and again it's just like this subtle coding that she does that I just really love and appreciate that she doesn't make like with other things that she does badly like her coding of race which she does really badly which she makes a big deal of but her coding of social economic class which she has quite a good grasp on she codes really subtly but she had Quite quite a good yeah, she seemed to lose it. Yeah, yeah. one, one point, point that I had about Colin Creasy is obviously, like, like we know that he's taking a lot of photos, and what I kind of observed on this uh, reading is that we have established, I think, through Pottermore, electronics don't work, which means that this is the mid 90s and Colin is using an analog camera, so we can assume that he's not using. An um, SLR, SLR analog yeah, camera, probably because it's the 90s. Yeah. And, and if he's a young child, his dad wouldn't have given him that kind of camera. Yeah. Um, um, it's definitely, definitely not the shitty dig digital one because it, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Which, which means, means that he's, he's using, using a disposable camera. <laughs> yeah, because he says when I get the photos developed, I can put them but, in a special potion. But, yeah, yeah, but like if it was analog, it would have to be developed anyway. But like yeah, those kind of cameras, if you bought them in the 90s, would have been quite a bit of money for analog. I mean, maybe he was super into photography and that was his like Christmas and birthday present. But like he would have been 11. I know, but if he was really into it. I, I think it's way more viable. 
but his dad, dad the milkman, milkman you know yeah, probably, probably not a lot of money i don't know how much they used to earn they don't really exist anymore no was like oh my god you're going away to hogwarts let me give you a disposable camera here's a bunch of disposable cameras the same that when like we were kids and we used to go like residential trips yeah your parents would give you like disposable cameras i think that he was holding holding like a little like kodak yeah the kodak disposable which i just love yeah i used to take them on every residential i have so many blurry photos of fields yeah same um so big tangent you know they're trying to bring milkmen back at the minute yes there's a company called milk and more who are trying to like like bring it back as a thing it's like an app from like silicon valley yeah. the same way like silicon yeah. valley to keep trying to reinvent buses you're like yeah. it's a bus they're like so it's uber but like it picks you up like on a set path and it picks you up with other people you're like it's a bus it's a fucking bus i'm not joking this is a thing they keep inventing it's bus get a bus Charlie's really angry. I just I really hate Silicon Valley unless you're going to invest in one of my businesses, in which case I love you. Um, please fund me. So Colin asks Harry for a photo and says he wants it signed. Malfoy overhears and is like, oh yeah, Potter's getting signed photos. And Lockhart comes over to see what's going on and tries to save Harry by making them take a photo together. And then Lockhart goes into this, his second big old thing of being like, oh Harry, like I saved your skin there. It's too early in your careers to want autographs and photos. so much. The way he makes Every everything single situation about, about him. Everything about no him. No matter what. It doesn't it matter is. what it is. You know what Lockhart is? What? A mansplainer. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah, he he is. is the OG mansplainer. The original. He is. Yep. Literally um, the first man to ever do it. J.K. Rowling invented mansplaining. Oh, I bet she did. <laughs> I feel like we need to coin a term that's like J.K. Rowling explaining. <laughs> did you know that anti Semitism is bad? Ignore the goblins. <laughs> Ignore that whole thing. Pay no attention to the goblin behind the curtain. Pay no attention to my entire life written work. <laughs> Don't hate the Jews. It's only cool when I do it. <laughs> we'll get to that bit of the book. We will. Um, so then Lockhart, they go to Lockhart's lesson and they, he gives them all a test about himself. I love it. This is me. It's like, when's my birthday? What's my favourite colour? He's like, in one chapter, I, it, she... We get across in so many ways how self-absorbed he is. It's qu- it's quite impressive in so few words how much how self-absorbed he comes across. See, what I wonder is at this particular point, how much is he playing it up as opposed to actually just being this much of an idiot? Stop because trying to defend him. And not defending him, but just we know later that obviously he's been quite crafty to get his career to this point. He has. He has. How much of it is genuine self-obsession and how much of it is him sort of playing a part? So I had a question. This was actually going to be my final question of the chapter. Mm. Um, that Why would Lockhart, who is at the moment kind of at the peak of his fame, mm. want to be a teacher? And my question was, has he lied for so long that he now believes these things? He now believes in himself and how good he is? Yeah. Or mm. is he still trying to live this... Is he still... 
very unconfident unconfident and trying to live this pretense or has he lied so much she believes yeah, yeah. So, so i think from all of the like chronic lies that i know like the compulsive can't help it just comes out lies is that they, no, no matter how obvious their lies are, and they're lying to you, and you're like, I d- you know I know the truth about what you're saying, so yeah. why are you lying to me when I was there? Kind yeah. of situations where you're like, I don't understand. The only way I've ever been able to work it out is they get so far into their delusion that you genuinely believe, genuinely believe it. Yeah. I think that he genuinely believes it, and that he's so into fame and that, you know, you know, deep down, down he knows that, you know, the witching and wiping the memories of all these witches and wizards mm. is just effort. And at, at this point, point, he just wants to enjoy the fame. fame. Yeah. Um, so so that's what I believe. I, I, I think he believes his delusions mm. um, and just wants, you know, to, to be, be worshipped. worshipped. And, and also, I think you have to remember how, like, prestigious... Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. teaching roles are. Like, there aren't many teachers. There's one for each job. The jobs must come up. Yeah. yeah. So you are remembered in history never. if you do the role. Like you're remembered as a defence against the exactly. teacher. It's not like being a teacher, you know, anywhere else where you're amongst thousands of other teachers. Yeah. I think it's it's definitely a status thing for him. Yeah. Um and you know, he does have that typical like white male thing where he's like, Why doubt myself? Yeah. Perhaps he had his eyes on a headmaster. Maybe. Eventually. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so, he then, after he's done his uh, shit test, um, reveals that he's brought freshly cut Carnish pixies into the class. the accent. Beautiful. The Seamus Finnegan accent. Yeah. Um, and his method of teaching is just open the cage. Before doing this, he doesn't even bother to try to tell them any way to catch them. He doesn't even say, try this, and it's a spell that doesn't work. He just opens the cage. Which is an interesting teaching method. I mean, I was talking about this with a teacher friend the other day, that a genuine method of teaching um, is to sometimes get a child to try to do something or ask them to do something and just see if they can do it because then you know their base skill level. However, but uh, if you do that with live animals, it's kind of dangerous. And also, this is not defense against the dark arts. Pixies by no means are the dark arts. This is a care of magical creatures lesson. They are not... They, they might be little dicks. They're, they're not dark, dark creatures. Uh, so, so it's not defense against the dark arts. It's care of magical creatures. It's not a dark arts. Yeah. Which is almost actually... I never thought of that, but that's almost similar with some of the things Lupin teaches them next year. Like, some yeah. of them are obviously dark creatures, but some of them are yeah. just magical I feel like it gets a bit blurred. It does get a bit blurred, you're right. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, dark arts is a hard thing to teach... Because unless you're moody, you're not going to be like, Crucio, defend yourself, bitch! Yeah, yeah. And you've got to do, like, creatures as well as spells, because Dark Arts is wide-ranging. It does. Yes. It, but it's not pixies. Pixies. Another quite interesting thing. Obviously, I know you guys, you'll do your film episode eventually. Eventually. But in the film, the pixies have lines. They have dialogue. Do they? I didn't know this until we went to see yeah. the orchestral screening where they have the oh, subtitles out. Yeah, they have And the pixies, nice. all these subtitles were coming out when the pixies got let out of the cage. I was like, what's this? Yeah, yeah. And they, they say stuff. Yeah, you oh, just can't hear it. I really it. hope it's really bad profanity. No, it's, it's, it's just kind of like cheeky little throwaway lines. Yeah. If, next time you're watching the film, stick on the subtitles, subtitles during that, that scene. scene. Oh, yeah. I'm going to. Mm. So, like, the other thing I thought is that obviously this is a shit lesson and all the lessons continue to be shit, but it doesn't really matter for Harry because he's in second year 
Well, what about the seventh years and the fifth years? What What about their newts? Mm. Like, just... Hogwarts is a bad school. Yeah. There is one year when all exams get cancelled. It's this year. So it doesn't matter that Lockhart didn't teach anything. Because all exams get cancelled. But, like, is that, like, you know, if you got, like, seriously ill or something along those lines and you're, like, your GCSEs or A-levels, you just got your predicted grade. Maybe mm. that's what happens. Maybe, yeah. But still, not a reason. Uh, I mean, maybe, because to be fair, if you were haunted your entire year by the fact people were getting, like, petrified and almost murdered, but that would affect your grade. Yeah, I mean, I always assume in my head all exams are cancelled, as in, like, if you've got them, like, tomorrow or anything, they're cancelled. The big ones, like the newts and owls, will just push back. We're just going to push them back. I don't know. I can definitely... You have to take your new. I can definitely see an argument for just giving them their consistently predicted grade. Because if you went an entire year where people were getting petrified and almost murdered, that that affects you. Yeah, and we'll discuss this more at the end. But the DADA classes, obviously, like, Harry has this then come up in his fifth year where he has a teacher who's not teaching him anything. And partly because he's in his owl year, he wants to, you know form his own way of teaching the seventh years must have been shit and bricks when they got Lockhart who's not going to teach them anything and they're just like right okay so we'll just fail then how do we know there wasn't other iterations of the DA this is a great theory what if the seventh years banded together in the library or a disused classroom just like right let's learn stuff yeah <laughs> so um, Lockhart just runs out the room leaving Harry and Hermione to deal with the pixies so it's within one chapter we realise how much of a fake and how ve- what a vain fraud Lockhart is this is the it's one it's so quick this is the one thing that uh, I say the one thing uh, this upsets me quite a lot about Lockhart's storyline mm. is that I think the idea for this character that so many people admire particularly Hermione admires yeah to then have him sort of shot down in flames as this absolute buffoon. It would Good have been word. great if they'd... Thank you. It would have been great if they'd peppered that over at least one more book mm-hmm. before the reveal. If yeah. they'd said, let's say, in Philosopher's Stone, there was just a couple of mentions of this brilliant, charismatic writer, Gilderoy Lockhart. Even yeah. just a couple of mentions, and then we finally get to meet him. Wow, we get to meet Gilderoy. He's a idiot yeah he's a complete tit i would love that yeah i uh, yeah i definitely agree i could see why it wasn't that way because she kind of wrote the first book as like the first book could have been a standalone definitely um so i get why it was but yeah i definitely agree that would have been really good yeah Um, definitely but you know as we know with a lot of jk's foreshadowing it's not quite as it seems yes Mm. that's the end of this chapter what did you guys think of this one love it absolutely love it (laughs) i feel like he's biased I'm definitely biased. I just think when it comes to J.K. Rowling's humour, I think there's no better character to show that off. Yeah. No, yeah. I definitely agree. Like, especially in a few chapters time, some of the Lockhart moments, you're like, ah! And like, you know how like Harry is just like ridiculously like unobservant and also like, you're yeah. just like, just fucking say what you're thinking, Harry. And he just doesn't defend himself against mm. Lockhart. He just like says nothing. And you're like, ah! But Harry, also, why do you have the personality of, like, a slightly damp stone? But also, because <laughs> Harry's a pupil, he's allowed to walk around just being like, I don't like that guy, but I don't have to spend time with him that much. I love how clear it is that all the teachers cannot stand this guy. But yes. they have to spend hours every week talking to him, and they just have to walk along beside him like, mm-hmm, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and when he mm-hmm. starts to like mm-hmm. mansplain all of their subjects I to know. them, oh, oh my god, it's so good because they're like, I have to keep on working with him. I can't say mm-hmm. anything. And I do think that J.K. Rowling in Harry Potter, obviously towards the end especially, it becomes quite an emotional, quite a dark book. Yeah, I think a lot of the time where J.K. Rowling's writing truly shines is the humour she peppers throughout yeah. it. Yeah, particularly yeah, in these early books, it, especially once you get past all the just silly, whimsical stuff. Yeah. She is a genuinely very funny author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it just comes across so well in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what she's trying to do on Twitter. Maybe she's been joking this entire time. Right, guys, please tell me she's joking. She's joking, isn't she? She's joking, right? Charlie, she's Wizards joking. shit themselves. <laughs> Stop bringing it up. Look, we all do every now and then, guys. Every now but and we then don't I have shit ones. myself. <laughs> and I magic it away. Beautiful. I know, thank you. Great, great. Totally and with that, let's heart. end this episode. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for being an episode for an episode. Thank you for being oh, a guest wait, for two episodes. Wait, Neil. What? Did you want to plug anything? Oh God, I write a blog. Oh no, don't no. No? Yeah. Yes. No, it's great. I love it. I love it, genuinely. Thank you. I write a music blog called Indecisive. Like indie, like the music. Sisive, like the word. Um. Do you want to mansplain that <laughs> Thank word? Thank you for that explanation. You can follow me on Twitter at Indecisive Blog if you'd like to. If but you, you don't like have to. music, Neil's yeah. your man. Indie music and other genres. He Music's is quite good, good at other genres. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, I yeah. listen to all sorts. And Neil eventually is going to start his own podcast soon. I am. Yeah, about music, music But even if you don't like music, you've heard his voice. You know you're going to subscribe yeah. anyway. So follow him on Twitter to see when that podcast happens and to read his blog. Details to be announced. Great. And we'll also put his links in the podcast description. Thanks. Great. Thanks Bye. for having me, guys. Great, that's fine. We loved having you. You yep. can go to your our cupboard room under now the stairs. whilst we do the next episode. <laughs> no, no, no. His cupboard under the stairs. Go yes. to the cupboard. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To keep up with us in between episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod, on Instagram at Goblet of Wine Podcast, and on our website at www.gobletofwine.co.uk. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes or on Facebook. Thank you so much to our amazing Patreon producers, Sandra and Nina, for their help supporting this podcast. If you'd like to support us, as well as gaining access to behind-the-scenes content and bonus episodes, check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.